0: Welcome to the Garden Years podcast series titled A Journey Through the Garden Years, Your Six Year Old. This is part two of our discussion on the six year old. And if you haven't listened to part one, I encourage you to do so, as it's filled with information to help you understand the inner struggle of the child at this age and how this affects relationships with family members, teachers, and friends. In this episode, We're going to discuss self-care and the health of a child at six, as well as take a deeper look at how stress and anxiety reveal themselves. We'll discuss the physical development of the six-year-old, as well as their developing intellectual capacities. And then finally, we're going to discuss how to best support your six-year-old as they're transitioning into seven. I'm going to share some suggestions, some techniques that I've found truly meet the child where they are and nourish their needs. And by using these in this way, it will help you deepen your connection with your child. and You'll build a respectful, trusting relationship, which will serve you both in heartwarming ways as your child comes to full flower and transitions into the school age years. So, thank you for joining me. When it comes to eating, and especially eating at a table, you may notice your six-year-old's table manners, which may have been developing beautifully up to this point, may suddenly have a setback and be lacking in many ways. And this setback can be very disappointing for many parents as they discover they return to the struggle they'd experienced in previous years constantly needing to remind their child how to be at the table, how to eat, how to be respectful. And the basic expectations, such as refraining from making loud, strange noises, or staying seated in your chair, being mindful of eating our food in a polite way instead of making a big mess, these rise up again. I've often had six-year-olds in my class suddenly revert back to table, be- table behaviors I remember experiencing with three-year-olds, where they start pretending they're animals, and they put their face in their food or water to eat like a dog, and there's food flying all around their placemat in the floor. And then I begin hearing myself say, Oh my, we're all humans at this table. I did not invite any wild animals to this meal. "'Please use your silverware, and you may drink out of your cup just like a human being. "'You have so many beautiful table manners. "'I'd like you to show them to me now.' "'When I say something like this, they usually rise to the occasion. "'But do not be surprised if your child begins stuffing as much food as they can fit into their mouth, "'and then talking with their mouth full of food as it falls all over the place.' And they may even start grabbing for things at the table, like food, drinks, and condiments. They may be dribbling food all over because they're moving around in their chair so much. They'll teeter their chair back and forth. And oftentimes they'll even fall out of their chair, possibly more than once during a meal. And when they do have a big tumble out of their chair, after goofing off and being silly, they're often quite embarrassed. So it's best to address this quietly with them, even taking them aside and just quietly speaking to them about sitting still in their chair instead of scolding them in front of everyone else because it's very hard for a six-year-old to become embarrassed. It can lead to a bigger outburst. So the behavior needs to be addressed, but take, take care to not embarrass them in front of others. For boundaries need to be enforced in a firm and loving manner, and the six-year-old needs to be reminded of these boundaries and rules in a respectful way. And we can be respectful when we have a true understanding of their inner struggle at this time. Another frustrating aspect at mealtime, among all of the silliness and little tricksy, mischievous things taking place, and topsy-turvy tumbling in chairs— Six-year-olds tend to eat quite slow because they're too busy talking. And sometimes it's just the conversation that's the issue, and it's hard for them to stop talking and actually eat. Now, if there are siblings at the table, this can be a time when bickering can start to come into play in a big way. And they may become incredibly forgetful when it comes to using a napkin and begin wiping food on their clothes or the chair or on a sibling's clothes. And these are things that are very common at this age, and they should be addressed. The slow eating, or perhaps not eating very much during the time it takes for the rest of the family to eat, isn't necessarily because they don't have a healthy appetite, because they are growing, and they do become very hungry. And when they're served food they love, they can eat quite a large amount of food, a surprising amount of food sometimes. In fact, some days it may feel as if your child is exclaiming they're hungry and eating all day long. And granted, there are times, and with certain children it may seem their eyes are bigger than their bellies, and they may ask for a lot of food when they see you serving it, and they say they're very hungry, but then they're not able to finish it. Generally, if a child is asking for food at this age, they usually can eat it, and oftentimes I find with six-year-olds it works best if I serve them a smaller amount of food. And I explain, "'You're welcome to eat as much as you want, "'but let's see if you can finish what's in this bowl first, "'and then I will give you more bowls if you wish.'" And this is a good way to gauge how much they can actually eat without feeling wasteful, because you've served them a giant pile of food. For as I explained before, six-year-olds love to have an abundance— They want the most, the biggest, and they want to exaggerate everything. And this is something we have to help them temper. So you may wish to make a family rule saying, I give small servings first, and you can have as many small servings as you can eat. And this way, you're not feeling like food is going to waste. Now when it comes to desserts or sweets, the six-year-old usually wants the largest serving. And this can be a bit of a struggle. and You may need to create a boundary surrounding this issue, stating this is the serving size everyone gets, so that it's fair. For fairness is also something that's quite important to a six-year-old. And what is interesting about sixes, they usually have a wide array of food that they enjoy, and there may be certain foods that up until now they enjoyed very much, but suddenly they're not wanting anymore. And instead they're expanding into a new horizon of trying other things. And it isn't uncommon for something your child that something your child ate quite heartily for a number of years is suddenly being rejected. And they may revisit enjoying that food again at six and a half or seven. Now we touched a wee bit on sleeping in part one. And we'll speak briefly about sleep again, looking a little deeper. For sometimes bedtime can become a problematic time. And it's quite interesting, many of the children who struggle with bedtime at six were previously very good at going to bed and following their routine without issue. And suddenly it becomes a little bit different at six. And it isn't because they're not tired. For most children at six are in full-day school programs and are no longer napping during the day. And these children have had full days of both physical and intellectual activity and stimulation, and they're quite ready for bed at bedtime but what's interesting is fears can bubble up at six, and suddenly they're finding the need for company when the lights are about to be turned off, and often they'll ask for their mother, but sometimes they can really give their mother a hard time at bedtime and I'd mentioned in part one when we discussed the relationship with fathers that bedtime's a wonderful routine for fathers to take over at this age. And when these fears arise regarding shutting lights off, after not having such fears for a while, father is a wonderful figure to be present for the child to help ease those fears. Now most six-year-olds still relish in having a story before bed, and this can be a glorious moment for parent and child to share in a story. They love sharing a book with chapters that you can read together each night before bed. One chapter each night gives the child something to look forward to while nourishing the connection that the child is seeking with you. Some six-year-olds find bedtime is when they wish to have deep conversations with their parents or a moment when they want to show you how well they can do something, like how well they can count. They want to show you something that they can do that you might be proud of. And they also may want to share in the reading and the recognition of letters. And if they're beginning to read, they may want to show you what they can read and wish to read along with you. But often, even if father has taken over the bedtime routine, mother may want to pop in before father starts his routine. For what is quite common with the six-year-old who may have had many challenging moments with their mother that day, is at bedtime the child wishes to make amends with their mother and they want to make sure their connection is solid and they want to know she still loves them no matter what. So a sweet little conversation with a loving good night before father begins his routine is a beautiful end to the day for a six-year-old. And this allows them to truly relax and enter sleep with less anxiety and more peace of mind. So once you move through any bumps that may arise with this new bedtime routine, and I suggest you stick with it if it's bumpy at first, for sometimes these things take time. And once the child falls asleep, children of this age tend to be wonderful sleepers once they get to sleep. Now, some children with certain temperaments may experience nightmares that flare up from time to time, especially if there's been some trauma or something very stressful going on in the home. But this is not true for all. And generally, they're beginning to sleep very well and sleep a little bit longer than they have in the past or a little bit later in the morning. For a child this age, 11 hours of sleep each night is sufficient for them to wake feeling well-rested. And what's wonderful about the six-year-old is if that they do wake up before their parents, they're quite happy to read or play with toys such as Legos or dolls in their room without even waking parents up. And for some children, if clothes chosen by the parents are laid out for them the night before, they'll dress themselves without prompting and be ready for the day all on their own. Now, when it comes to toileting in the self-care realm, children at six are self-sufficient. Boys do need reminders to pay attention when they're urinating in the toilet because they often can make a bit of a mess. They can be in a hurry. They don't want to miss out on their play or other exciting activities. But most children by this age are fairly comfortable doing what we call nature peas outside while on forest adventures, and they're capable of doing this on their own with very little help. Sometimes help is needed. If they're wearing winter clothing or outdoor clothing, that's difficult to manage. But they do very well using the toilet on their own, nature peeing if you're camping or out hiking through the forest. Now, if a child of this age is feeling stressed, especially at school, And if there's a lot going on that's putting pressure on the child, they can still have daytime bathroom accidents. And this would not be unusual for a six-year-old who's under a lot of stress. And when this happens, as you can imagine in a child of this age who's far more self-conscious than ever before, it can be incredibly embarrassing, and they can feel so very ashamed. So it's important for the adults in the child's life to never Be upset with them if this happens. Instead, adults should take this as a signal that the child is being subjected to unhealthy stress and they should strive to be as supportive and understanding as possible, working to help reduce the child's stress levels. Now, some six-year-olds who sleep very deeply may occasionally wet the bed at night. And those who do wake up at night to use the bathroom Many are fully self-sufficient and will do it on their own without even waking their parents. And again, any accidents that happen, even at bedtime, they should be met with compassion and understanding, never scolding. It's important to support your six-year-old through these difficult times, as they're still growing and learning. And it's important they feel they can trust you, that you're not going to get upset with them for something like this. Now, most six-year-olds are fully competent when it comes to hand-washing, and when reminded, they're happy to do so before meals and after toileting. But when it comes to the nightly bath, which may have been very much enjoyed up to this point, parents are often bewildered when their six-year-old begins resisting bath time. In fact, the resistance may be so powerful that parents begin electing to bathe less frequently. And some children are not interested in learning to bathe themselves, whereas others want to do it all by themselves. And it really depends on their temperament. It's not unusual for children at this age to still need adult support and supervision when it comes to hair washing and rinsing, as many children still struggle getting soap in their eyes, and they fear this discomfort. And when it comes to dressing themselves, wanting to change their clothes or get dressed is usually a bigger part of it the issue versus the ability to dress themselves for most six-year-olds are extremely capable when it comes to dressing it's getting them to actually do it that's the challenge and parents share there are many battles over dressing some of the challenge can be related to the clothing itself there are some types of clothing especially outdoor gear that's very tricky to put on or it's a bit uncomfortable and this clothing does require assistance to put on comfortably so that it doesn't bunch up or feel too tight. And this is a challenge for the child who wants to do everything on their own. They don't want assistance. They wish they could do it all by themselves, and therefore their resistance to getting dressed stems from the fact that it's hard for them. They need help, and they don't want help. For others, it may be the child is perfectly capable of getting dressed, but this activity interferes with what they're doing and they don't want to stop and take the time to get dressed or changed. And you might observe, when the child has something they look forward to, like a special place they're going or a play date, all of a sudden the dressing happens much easier because they're more motivated to do so. And for some children, a parent's presence is all that's needed to encourage them and provide moral support as they move through the process of getting dressed. Now, boys and girls, but mostly girls, especially at this age, can get into a real state over what they're going to wear, and they want to be in charge of selecting their own clothing. And this can create lots of conflict, especially if their choice is not appropriate for the weather or the occasion. Now, when, it, when girls are having this challenge, some of them They tend to love their dresses and they want to wear them to all events. But this also applies to boys who have trouble with winter clothes and perhaps they want to wear summer clothes all the time. And it may not be appropriate for the activity at hand. It may be too cold or rainier outside. Or it may not be appropriate clothing for the occasion so, for parents, it's best to select two sets of clothing for the child to choose from. This allows the child to feel they have a choice. And the trouble is in allowing the child to choose from their entire selection of clothing. This, as we've learned in Part 1, six-year-olds struggle with making decisions. They live in a state of opposition at this time, and they change their mind so frequently. We're doing them a disservice by asking them to make these choices. And so this is a moment when we realize choice creates trouble. So parents need to create ways to minimize choices. For you're the governor of your family. As Kim John Payne, the author of Simplicity Parenting, who's a wonderful parenting expert, he describes this in his book. You make the rules and you create your family culture. And you can create a system that minimizes the amount of decisions being asked of your child until they're ready to handle making those decisions. For example, does your child insist on wearing summer clothes even in cold, wintry weather? Do you turn around to discover your child has put on shorts and a t-shirt to go to school when it's blustering outside and it becomes an exhausting battle? Well, while your child is away from home, simply pack up all their summer clothes and put them away where your child cannot access them. Place in their room only the clothes you approve of for the season. Lay out two outfits the night before school and tell your child they can choose between the two. Shoes can become an issue for both boys and girls. It can be difficult to get six-year-olds to wear shoes, and I'm a big believer and the importance of allowing children to be barefoot whenever possible and safe. For being barefoot aids in the development of the foot, as shoes restrict movement. It builds important neural pathways and aids in the development of the proprioceptive and vestibular systems of the body. In the act of grounding to the earth, barefoot is so very healthy for all humans. But of course, there are times when shoes are necessary and important. Now, if you're comfortable allowing bare feet as much as possible, it's a wonderful gift for your child. For children have an inner drive to be barefoot for a reason. It's as if they intuitively know it's good for them and good for their phase of development. So, allowing barefootedness is not a bad thing where it is safe and where it's possible. But getting them to change into shoes when it's necessary to do so can be very tricky at this age. Hair can also be a problem for both boys and girls. Children who wear their hair long may not wish to have it combed or brushed, and they can create quite a scene when parents are tending to their hair. And their sense of drama can really flare up at this time, no matter how gentle you're being. And this is often a time where quarrels begin. For children this age, their scalp seems to be extremely sensitive. And sometimes it's better to let them have some kind of distraction while their hair is being done. They could look at a favorite book or have something to do with their hands, such as model a bit of beeswax or clay while their hair is being brushed. Sometimes a wee distraction like this is all it takes to be able to move through the activity of hair brushing more peacefully. I've mentioned... A number of times in this podcast that the six-year-old tends to be an anxious child who can easily become stressed, and there are some clear indications a child is experiencing stress that we can observe in their behavior and how they move their body. humans will have often have tension outlets, even adults have tension outlets, specific behaviors or movements, even repetitive things that we do when our nervous system is overloaded or overstimulated by some sort of input that causes stress. Now, the five-year-old appeared much more relaxed and even perhaps more resilient. But at six, most parents will see a marked difference and increase in tension outlets. And this can appear different for each child's unique temperament but it can range from repetitive limb movements such as swingings of arms and legs, restlessness, constant wiggling, to a return to full-blown temper tantrums and angry outbursts. And some sixes begin to take tantrums to a whole new level, and they can become violent, attempting to harm others, especially their mother. Now, as was practiced at age two and three, they may need to be physically removed from a room and brought to a low-stimulation place to settle down and decompress. Now, parents can become skilled in remaining calm in these situations and learn to carefully de-escalate the situation with just the right combination of humor and distraction. And it's important to avoid attempting to reason or lecture a child in the middle of a tantrum. Hold space for them. Breathe deeply. Keep them safe as well as others. And hold a firm and loving boundary. You may cry until you feel better, and I will be right here if you need me. If they become physically violent, simply remind them, without emotion, you may not hit, or bite, kick, scratch, throw, whatever it is. I won't let you. Other means of releasing tension or stress can manifest as biting fingernails, scratching, grinding teeth, chewing on hair or clothing or pencils or crayons, knocking things over or grabbing for objects aggressively. Many also begin to make strange noises with their throats or they're constantly clearing their throats. And for some, stuttering can set in. And most parents observe their child becomes quite clumsy at 6 seeming to fall over themselves and tripping constantly now 6 year olds they're just they're overflowing with feelings and confusing contradictions inwardly so is it any wonder they will need to find ways to integrate these experiences and these feelings through a variety of tension outlets so when your child begins engaging in these often highly irritating behaviors Take note that they're working through something and the most loving gesture to take toward them is one of attempting to distract them. So don't fight against the behavior or criticize them. Instead, change the environment or situation as quickly and gracefully as possible. And in these moments, it's necessary to reduce stimulation, that's input, for the nervous system. Lower lights... Turn off electronic media, light a candle, hum a soft tune, create a quiet, relaxing atmosphere until the child is able to find their inner balance. Conscious handling of these situations does not guarantee they'll disappear completely, but they will, over time, reduce in severity. And these behaviors are your clue, as parents, that your child is overloaded. And you must take action and protect your child from over-demand. Our modern world is just pushing children and creating such over-demand. It's our job as parents to look for these signs and scale back. If the child's in school, they may need to reduce or eliminate extracurricular activities and have more downtime at home and more connection time with you until they're a bit older. Six is a time when their physical body is undergoing so many changes. We spoke in part one a bit about the birth of the etheric at the change of teeth. In this transition year, moving towards this etheric shift can be quite taxing on the physical body. And as a result six-year-olds do tend to fall ill more frequently and when they're not sick they will often complain about growing pains in their legs and arms and even neck their mucous membranes seem to be more sensitive and more easily inflamed especially in their upper respiratory system there's been some speculation this may be related to the movement of teeth their eyes can also become quite sensitive and it's not uncommon for six-year-olds to get their first sty. Sore throats and ear infections become more common as they were at age two and a half, and allergies seem to be more aggravated than perhaps in the past. The six-year-old, they're busy. there's so much going on inside them. They are so much going on outside them as they're trying to move and learn so much, and they do tire easily. And sometimes, especially if they've been overstimulated with too much activity on weekends or evenings, sometimes the very thought of going to school may bring on a bellyache. For they want to be their best at school, and it's extremely hard when they're exhausted. And physically, they're very restless at six. They often can't decide if they want to play outdoors or indoors. Outside, they love to dig and climb and ride bikes and swings, and they still adore sand and mud play. And indoors, they may enjoy helping with domestic tasks, such as cooking, setting the table, gathering laundry, and washing dishes. They love building with blocks and creating forts. But whatever the setting, your six-year-old will be constantly moving, even when sitting. And this is because they're working on developing their vestibular system, the system of the body responsible for balance. They're constantly working on balance. They adore rough and tumble play with friends, siblings, or especially their father. And they need to learn about boundaries during this type of play, as they often go a little bit too far. And because the six-year-old, well, they want to experience extremes. So you will hear them in play declaring this. While swinging, they will want to go as high as possible. While climbing, they will want to climb to the top. While building with blocks, they will want to build as high as they can and then make it come crashing down. Hand and eye coordination begins Refining at six, they recognize their hand as a tool and they'll experiment using it in different ways. Small toys, such as Legos or anything that encourages the strengthening fine motor skills, are beloved by six-year-olds. Coloring and learning to write is a bit awkward at this age, mostly because the rest of their body struggles finding stillness as they write. So it's not uncommon for the six-year-old to change their pencil grasp and alternate between proper pencil grip and something more primitive. They may tire quickly from the activity of writing and practicing letters, and this can be seen when they begin to lay their head on the table. But they love exploring the use of tools and woodworking. This is a wonderful activity for them to do with a beloved grown-up. And they need help using tools, as they're clumsy, and they struggle with the strength and dexterity needed to complete some tasks. But they're quite capable of short spurts of rasping, filing, and sanding all on their own. Six-year-olds still have a developing sense of time. They cannot yet tell time, and duration of time holds little meaning for them. Cognitively, their minds are not yet developed to the point of being able to fully comprehend the abstract concept of telling time, so it's best to wait to teach about telling time until third grade. And since they're also unable to understand duration of time, giving them warnings such as, you have five more minutes of play, is ineffective unless a timer or bell are used to mark the end of five minutes. Now with a regular old-fashioned clock they can learn which hand is the big hand and which hand is the little hand on a clock. And you can say to them when the big hand is on the 12 and the little hand is on the 5 it's 5 o'clock and that's our dinner time. And in this way they can learn what time they must leave for school, what time they have dinner, and what time they go to bed. This six-year-old is learning about sequence, and they're able to learn about the sequence of seasons and holidays and birthdays. They love to hear stories about other periods of history, other times, but times that relate to them, such as when they were babies, or when their parents were young, or their grandparents. And when it comes to understanding space and time. Emotionally, six is the center of their own world, as I described earlier. But intellectually, their consciousness is expanding, resulting in an interest in their town and state, their country, even planets and outer space. For at this age, they should learn about people from different places, and what their lives are like, and how they live, versus geography and scientific facts. Those subjects and ideas should be saved for fourth grade and up when their intellect has developed in this realm and is ready to comprehend this sort of information. Instead, for now, allow them to live in the space of getting a feel for differences in people's lives and surroundings. And at this age, They're just beginning to learn to distinguish their left from their right hand, but they're still unable to do this on another person. And they're beginning to orient themselves in physical space in a way that they haven't in the past. Now keep in mind when considering space and time, there are notable differences in each child's ability and pace of development based on which side of the brain is becoming dominant. Right-brained children will tend to be very well orientated in space, but not so much with time, whereas left-brained children may be well oriented in time and less so when it comes to space. Now, most children at six can recognize and write the letters of their own name and even some words. They're slowly beginning to recognize some words they see printed at home Or on signs or in stores. And they know all the letters of the alphabet and they're developing a firm grasp for the sounds these letters make. Most six-year-olds love to practice printing letters. It's challenging for them, but they really want to learn. They may still need support and reminders on how to hold the pencil or stick crayon with the right grip. And most can print their whole name and the alphabet. And some are able to print their last name as well. Capital letters are best taught first as they're easiest to print. And lowercase letters can be taught at six and a half or seven once they've practiced making capital letters smaller and are able to write them on what we call golden pathways with ease. And nearly all six-year-olds are able to print numbers from one to eleven and some can print all the way up to 20. But numbers can be challenging for them and they're often printed quite large. Six-year-olds need to practice their numbers and eventually they'll be able to print them smaller on a golden pathway just like their letters. Six-year-olds can usually count to 30 or more but they may tell you they can count to a million and many can add correctly up to 10, and subtract correctly within 5. They usually have great fun working with numbers and playing math games with manipulatives. And math can come easier to some six-year-olds than reading. Each child will develop these capacities at somewhat different rates. So as you can see, the six-year-old delights in learning so many new things, and their world is expanding and they're transforming in so many ways. And when it comes to some of the challenges we've discussed that you may experience with your six-year-old, there may not be another age at which the use of effective techniques is needed more. For the right technique in dealing with a difficult six-year-old can be so rewardingly effective. Now, I do not guarantee effectiveness for all children, with the suggestions I mentioned here, but I can say that these techniques have worked beautifully for so many parents in the past, and the chances are they'll work well for you too. And if they don't work at first, I wouldn't throw it away. Consistency is the key. So it sometimes feels like a miracle to witness a fire-breathing six-year-old transform into a joyful companion merely because you were able to say or do the right thing at the right moment. And when it comes to supporting your six-year-old, the first technique I will mention is praise. Now remember I mentioned the six-year-old fears disappointing those close to them. They crave praise. They yearn for it. And although it may feel challenging on some days to find something to praise, if you truly strive, you can find something even if it is small, such as I'm very proud of you for putting on your pajamas. You're so good at dressing yourself. It would be a wonderful gift for your child if each parent finds one thing, but something genuine to praise their child for each day. We don't need to smother them with shallow praises, good job, good job, every time we speak. Make the praise genuine. Praise them for something they can do now and do well that perhaps they couldn't do a year ago. This helps them feel seen. My next suggestion has to do with chances. And since the six-year-old is in a phase of opposition and may often meet your request with no, you may want to ignore the rudeness and meet it with a response such as, well, it sounds like you may need three chances to put on your shoes, or whatever it may be. For three is the magic number at this age. We do many things in threes. And next, proceed with your request again and again until you've reached the third time. And most of the time, the child is instantly diffused and appears relieved to not need to battle it out. And they will often relish in using up each chance and then complete the task on the third request without resistance. Now, this may not work if your child is resisting something that is overstimulating them. If you're making a request for them to do something that they feel within themselves they can't bear to do because they are too tired. And then as a parent, you may want to take a look at what you're asking of them. And see if you might want to make a change. Now, sometimes counting will work since the child has a love for counting at this age. In the keys to count without anger or emotion, you may want to phrase it something like this Well, let's see if you're able to do whatever it is. By the time I count to ten, I'm not sure if you can. Let's see. Ready, steady, go and then begin to count slowly. This gives the child a pause as they gather themselves, and you're able to slow your counting down to meet their pace while holding faith in your heart that they can and will. And you bring a little joy to the moment. For bigger tasks, such as cleaning up toys, you may want to set a timer that's set so they can see the countdown. For some children, this works well, and there are some temperaments who could care less, so this may be an experiment. I would say if your child's showing a fascination for time, this will work. And when your child is having a big emotional flare, I would advise you not to meet fire with fire. Instead, at this age, it's best to sidestep. Most sixes use up their defiance energy in their initial resistance and are often relieved if their parents don't meet them with anger don't engage in the drama. Give as few direct instructions as possible. I find myself without emotion simply saying, when I'm met with extreme defiance, I did not give you a choice. This is what we're doing. And then I move into whatever activity I directed them to do without giving them any further attention. And if they happen to continue with a tantrum and follow me, I simply let them know that I do not wish for them to be next to me if they're going to yell in tantrum. It hurts my ears, and I don't like it. They can join me when they're finished. I will also give them loving permission, with compassion, to cry until they feel better. I might say, sometimes it helps to cry. You are free to cry until you feel better. And I'll be right here when you're done, or if you need me. I've had children stop dead in their tracks when I say that to them with all the love in my heart. They often instantly stop crying and join me. Another important exercise for parents of 6-year-olds is to reevaluate your rules and carefully pick your battles. Your child is older now, and sometimes we can't we can get stuck in old patterns of discipline that may have been appropriate for a 3 four or even five-year-old, but you need to ask yourself if the rules or demands you're making of your child still apply and really matter at this age. Or, on the other hand, you may be looking at your child as six and capable of so much more than they actually are, and your expectations may be a bit too high. So after learning all of this about a six-year-old, you may ask, is this a fair expectation? Now, one action that may still apply at this age and may be necessary, as I have mentioned before, is removing your child from a situation that's triggering an emotional flare. Saying something like, I see you're feeling upset, and that's okay, but we need to move you to a place where you can take the time you need to be upset. You may even have to tell your child that you need some space and that you need a few minutes away from her or him. Take the space you need. Model this for your child so they can learn to self-regulate when outside stimulation or overbearing friends become too much. Another tool in your toolbox will be learning how and what to ignore. Sometimes it's best to not bring to light every single naughty or annoying thing they say or do. Now, unsafe or unkind behaviors do need to be addressed, but there are other little things you don't like, that cause no harm, that you can ignore. For punishment does not tend to improve behavior at this age, so it's best to use punishment less and only for serious behavior. Most parents are well aware of their child's triggers and the situations and environments that bring out this behavior, and this awareness is a gift, so use it wisely. And during this year, avoid times, places, people, and situations that trigger your child's worst behavior. Set them up for success during this transition year. It may be less fun for you, but it will be a relief and a gift for your child, and in the end, better for your relationship. Now, if you have not been successful establishing firm and loving boundaries in the past, this will be a process for you. And these suggestions I mentioned above may not produce immediate desirable results. And if this is the case for you, I encourage you to be steadfast in your commitment to create and enforce boundaries in a loving yet firm way. For consistency is the key here, especially if you have a strong-willed child. For if you're constantly giving in to your child's demands in every whim, that's what they've grown to expect. If whining and tantruming has given them the results they seek in the past, this will continue, for this is what you've taught them. If I scream and tantrum, I will get my way. Now, this can be reversed, but it does take time, consistency, love, patience, and the belief that it will. And you mustn't take their outbursts personally. It's important to model it looks like to create a healthy boundary for children still learn through imitation at this age and they will learn how to do this for themselves by watching you for every parent wants to raise a confident kind healthy child who's able to express themselves and treat others in a respectful way and boundaries teach respect and this may mean facing some embarrassing moments such as cutting a trip to a store, a restaurant, or a play date short if your child is behaving in a disrespectful way or having a tantrum. Or you may have to cancel plans altogether for a special event if your child is having a particularly bad day. And you may feel extremely disappointed to have to do so because you will be missing out on something enjoyable. But it's a greater gift for your child to give them the message, when I'm behaving or acting like this, It not kind or fair to others, so I need to take time to help myself find balance again. Your child may need a whole day to just play on their own. Children work through and process emotions and inner unrest through play. It's therapeutic and they know this. And when a child has had enough time to play, they're much better company. And finally, Use story therapeutically to help your child move through this phase for storytelling is a powerful tool. Search for a story such as a fairy tale with rich imaginative pictorial qualities versus picture books. Children of this age are still living in the pictorial realm and they benefit from allowing their imagination to run wild and create their own inner pictures of what's taking place in a story. So search for stories that have variations of plot and feeling with some conflict of good and evil and make sure it is light on the evil not too dark the good must prevail and mistakes are corrected and forgiven the story should highlight change and redemption hansel and gretel is good for this age and the traditional version of little red riding hood where the wolf eats grandma and red riding hood and is rescued by the huntsman is also good Snow White and Rose Red. Not the Disney Snow White. The grim fairy tale Snow White and Rose Red. Also Star Money, Jack and the Beanstalk, and any good, any story that has the good child, bad child element. Stories like these show that the spiritual world is hidden where you least expect it. In a little bean, or an old woman who asks for simple kindness. And there are many, many more that meet these needs for the child and can work in a therapeutic way. And if you're struggling to find something, just send me an email and explain the behavior you're hoping to meet through story. And I'm happy to share some with you from my library. So I want to thank you for joining me as we explored the enthusiastic, fun-loving, transforming six-year-old I hope this information helps you find ways to connect more with your child and navigate this important year with more confidence. If you have any questions, or if you wish for more guidance customized for you and your child, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I love working with children and families and helping them to deepen their connection and live more harmoniously. So I leave you now with a wish that you hold peace and joy in your heart.